We're glad that you're with us tonight for our midweek Bible study. We are continuing our summer series for 2023, and so far the lessons have been very encouraging as we're under the overall theme of Where is God? Uh, our speaker tonight is Ethan Schulte. Um, I need to apologize to Ethan. Um, we forgot to include his name on the sign-up sheet for meals on, on Wednesday nights, but I think he was taken care of. Uh, but uh, Ethan and Alyssa are with us, and we're glad both of them were able to come tonight. Of course, we know Ethan very, very well. We're very proud of him uh, for the work that he does. Uh, he works with the, continues to work with the Eastwood Church of Christ in Paris, Tennessee. And uh, I've been privileged to be there a couple times the last few years. And each time I go, it's always very encouraging to see the, the work that congregation is doing, and uh, specifically the work that Ethan is doing. And uh, we just love him so much here. And uh, he kind of... He kind of has a standing invitation with our summer series. And uh, I told him as we were sitting down here that we really appreciate him doing this each year. And uh, we know that the lessons he presents to us each summer are always very encouraging and very biblical. And uh, we know tonight will be no different. He has a very difficult topic as far as the, uh, uh, the emotion of it. As we think about where is God, his topic for tonight is where is God when a loved one dies. We tried this summer to think of uh, subjects, some were sort of on the... Uh, exciting end of things, and some are on a little more difficult or uh, heart-wrenching side of things. And uh, Ethan got those little more difficult ones, and we know he will handle that well and will uh, encourage us with study of God's Word. Let's pray together, and we'll turn our time over to Ethan. Our Father in Heaven, thank you so much for being our Father. Thank you for loving us, for watching over us. Thank you for, as we've been considering all summer long, being there for us, whether times are great or times are difficult or times are just kind of rolling along. We're grateful that we can learn more about your presence and how we can know that you are present throughout various times of our life. We ask you to be with Ethan tonight. We're grateful for he and Alyssa being here. We pray that you'll bless him tonight as he presents this lesson to us. We're grateful for his study, for his faithfulness to your word, and bless us as hearers as we study along. Please be with every teacher teaching our children tonight as well and all the students who are with them. Help us all to be more faithful and encouraged by having been here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good evening. Uh, um, I appreciate the invitation so much uh, to be able to be here with you tonight. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I'm glad that you've had such an encouraging series uh, so far this summer. Uh, I hope this will be encouraging to you. Um, as you said, this is a bit of a heavy topic. Uh, I would not say that I've earned the right to address such a heavy topic for you this evening, um, but nonetheless, we will, we will do our very best. Um, let me say that I appreciate uh, your warm welcome. It's always uh, just so wonderful to be able to walk into a church building that I haven't been to an entire year. Uh, and still see familiar faces and experience a warm welcome. And so uh, thank you for that so much. Uh, as Adam said, we're talking tonight about where is God when my loved one dies? We're going to start by thinking about why this is such a heavy topic and, and such a complicated topic to address, uh, because I believe the reason is because our relationships are so complex uh, with each other within themselves. If we start there, uh, how our relationships are so complex, there might be several different things that bind us to each other. 
Uh, here's a simple list. Maybe there could be other things that I didn't think of. Um, but here are some of the ties that might bind us to each other. Uh, and so in each of these things, uh, our relationships are going to vary greatly. Uh, each of these things could be put on a spectrum. Uh, we are greatly tied in, you know, greatly tied familially to somebody, but maybe we're not as tied to that person uh, situationally. Or, you know, any variety of any of these things could be on a spectrum. And so our, any given relationship uh, is going to be very unique and very different from most every other relationship based on the strength of each of these ties. Again, where that slider or continuum is for each of those things. The time frame of these ties, our relationships change. Maybe we were really close to uh, this person a long time ago because of certain circumstances then, but maybe we've moved to different cities and, and things are different now. And so uh, the time frame of these ties is very relevant to uh, the uniqueness of our relationship with each other. Then we've got to consider who I am, my well-being, my personality, who this other person is, their well-being and their personality. That's going to affect our relationship dynamics. Uh, other relationships that we have with other people are going to affect my relationship with this person. Do I have healthy relationships over here that help me to be in a healthy relationship with this person? Or you know, any other variety of, of different relationships that might affect this one. And then, of course, there are many other things that we could think about that make each relationship that we have with another person very unique and very special. And so as we address the topic for the evening, when we lose one of these relationships because of a death, the situation... Uh, or the circumstances surrounding that situation is also going to make that really unique, really complex relationship, uh, our situation surrounding them passing away, all the more unique and different. We might consider how, how old they were when they passed away, and that's going to affect our view, perception of the events. Uh, we're going to you know, wonder if they were a Christian or not, and we obviously have a belief on uh, what happens if they were a Christian or not? Was it expected? Was this an expected situation or was it completely out of the blue? That's going to affect how we deal with the situation and, and our perception of it. Uh, the entire circumstances surrounding uh, their passing away. The life impact that this person not being in our lives anymore is going to have on us. We might look back to our ties. Was this a, a family a relationship that we had with this person and all of a sudden they're gone, and so that's going to affect us in a variety of ways. Maybe we had a financial tie to somebody, and our, our breadwinner has passed away. That's obviously going to put a, a big strain on us and uh, affect our lives in a very uh, large way. Maybe we do have friends and loved ones uh, uh, that we care for deeply, but the life impact isn't going to be as great because maybe we don't see them as often or, or something like that. And then maybe our prior experience with death itself. Is this the first time that we've experienced the loss of a really dear, close loved one? That's going to affect how we handle the situation, how we engage with the situation, or is this something we've had to deal with a lot in our lives? And so relationships are very complex. Uh, each one is incredibly unique. And so when we lose those relationships, it's going to be a very incredibly unique experience as well. So how do we help each other? How do we be there for each other when we know that somebody else has lost their loved ones? Well, maybe we say some things. Maybe we say some things that we, we try to use to be comforting, that we try to use to be encouraging, that we try to use to ease the pain uh, as much as we can. 
maybe we say some of there we go these things uh, up here. Uh, now, if you have ever said any of these things to somebody that's grieving, that's lost a loved one, I, I don't want to imply that that's wrong and that's bad and you know shame on you. I don't want to imply that at all. But if you'll think with me, I think it's equally uh, it's as equally possible, let's say, that if you've lost a loved one and somebody has said one of these things to you, that it was encouraging, that you did find comfort in that, that it did help you through your grieving process. I think it's equally possible that somebody said one of these things to you, or maybe multiple of these things to you, and others similar to them, in good, uh, with good intentions, but for some reason it just hit wrong, and it, it just didn't help, and maybe it even made the hurt a little bit worse because of, again, that complexity of the relationship. And of course, not that that other person meant it poorly. Um, they were trying their very best to do what they could to help. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't help you all that much. And so we, we say things. We're, we're very uncomfortable around the grieving and the mourning. And so we try to fill awkward silence with speech. And again, maybe sometimes it works, but I'm afraid too often it doesn't actually help. Um, and so what I want us to think about for just a moment is, well, what should we do? Should we not be saying some of these things? Well, you know, perhaps, uh, again, it might depend on your relationship to the person that uh, is grieving, the person that is mourning. But I do want us to think about a few biblical ideas. What is it that we should do as Christians to help our brothers and sisters who are grieving, who are going through uh, the, the loss of a loved one? I believe we're told one time in Scripture something to say. If you've got first, uh, yeah, first Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read a few verses there. I think one time in Scripture we're told to say something to those that have lost loved ones. Let's start reading there, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who, those who have passed away, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Okay, so as Christians dealing with the loss of a loved one uh, who has fallen asleep in Christ, we are going to specify that, a, a believer, we should engage with the grieving process differently than the rest of the world because we have hope. We know about the eternal life that's waiting. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Again, this is talking about a Christian that's passed away. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up it doesn't say to the Lord, it says caught up together with them, with our loved ones that have already passed away. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and then we meet the Lord uh, in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So maybe there are some words we can say that, that are comfort, comforting, that should bring comfort to the, the morning. The fact that we're going to see our loved ones again. We're going to be re reunited with them as we all make our way to that judgment scene, as we all meet Jesus in the air together. 
I think that is comforting, and hopefully that is helpful to those that have lost loved ones who, who are faithful and who are Christians. That's the time that we're told to say something. I think we see other examples of, in Scripture of dealing with mourning people, uh, grieving people, where the, the admonition is not to speak to them. I'm thinking specifically of Romans chapter 12, verse 15. We know this verse well. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we are to weep with those who weep. Perhaps we're uncomfortable, again, around death and around dying and around mourning and around grieving. But how amazing is it when we can meet someone where they are and they're having an emotional experience and we join them in that experience? Maybe words, any words that we can say in however much degree of good intention that we can possibly have simply won't be very helpful. But can we be with them in their grief? Can we be with them as they cry and as they weep over their loved one. Aren't we supposed to exist in that situation with them? This, this verse does not say, encourage those who weep and, and try to get them to stop weeping. It doesn't say that. It says you be there with them and you weep with them. The reverse is also true. As people rejoice, we're to rejoice with them as well. And so as people find joy in their lives, as people find excitement and celebration in their lives, we need to be in those situations as well rejoicing with them. One final thought uh, on this section of the lesson is uh, from the book of Job. Let's turn to the book of Job. We're going to read several verses uh, from this account here. Specifically, we're going to start in Job chapter 2, and then we'll work our way back to Job chapter 1. Job, of course, uh, loses everything. We know the story of Job. He loses uh, simply everything that he has, including his ten children. Uh, all at once. Everything's gone at once. Um, and then he's told that he has lost his ten children. And so I want to talk about a the Jewish practice of being there for grieving people, being there for mourning people. Uh, and it's what Job's three friends do. Job chapter 2, starting verse 11 there. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, sorry, and so far the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. When they had raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. These friends sit with him for an entire week, and we think, how do you get off of work for that long? How can you possibly manage to spend an entire week with your friend that has lost you know, his whole family? Um, but of course, their you know, system of, of work and society was much different from ours. But I do think that this is a good practice, and Jewish people still continue this practice on to this day, where it's called sitting Shiva, where you sit with someone in silence. You do not say anything to them unless you are spoken to. Sometimes we like to uh, be a little mean to Job's friends and say, yeah, when they were sitting there silent with Job, you know, everything was fine, but then they started to open their mouths and you know, not uh, really help him out very much. But if you'll notice, chapter 3, who starts the conversation? It's Job. Job starts the conversation with them. 
because the practice is you do not say anything until the grieving person starts the conversation. And if they want to talk, then that's okay. Uh, but before that time, you do not say anything to them. I think that's very interesting. Is it possible that it's more helpful to give someone our presence and our time than our words? Again, words are very cheap. Words are very easy. And we are very busy people. Um, and so we understand why we give them. And perhaps we're uncomfortable with silence. And so another reason why we try to give our words but as we try to help our brothers and our sisters who are grieving and going through some, some of the most severe pain possible in this human life, the loss of a dear loved one, maybe we should consider this practice. Now, modern Jewish people usually don't stay for the whole seven days. We'll go ahead and make that amendment there. Maybe it's one to three days or something like that, as much as they can afford to, to offer to their friends. Um, but it's just something for us to consider. Um, and so... What should we do as we help our brothers and sisters who grieve? Let's comfort them with the words that we can. But let's weep with them. Let's be there with them. Let's give them our time and our presence to show them that we are with them in this endeavor as we go through this grieving process. Now, I haven't addressed my topic for the night yet. And that is, where is God in all of this? Where is God in this whole situation? I said we'd go back to Job chapter 1. If we consider Job chapter 1 and uh, David and what he went through, we'll remember that both of them, again, lost children. Job chapter 1, uh, verse 20, says what Job does immediately after that. This is before you know, chapter 2 where Satan re-ups uh, re his attack on, on Job, and then Job's three friends you know, come later at the end of chapter 2 there. But what happens immediately after Job loses all of his stuff and all of his children. Verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. What did he do? Worshipped. He worshipped God immediately after losing his children. I find that very interesting. We're going to see that David uh, does something very similar. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, we know that he's been fasting, he's been praying, he's been begging. God to spare the life of uh, the child of, um, of Bathsheba. Uh, God does not grant that request uh, in David's favor. Uh, and so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, in verse 20, we read this. So David arose from the ground. This is immediately after the servants have informed him that the child has passed. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. And he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food for him, and he ate. These are, again, we might call them similar because they've both, both lost children. We might also call them incredibly unique and different because Job's children were adults. They were living on their own. Uh, David's child was a newborn. I don't want to compare grief. Uh, that's not something we should do. I think we would all agree that the loss of a child is very difficult, whether they are young or old. And so I, I find it interesting that both of these men that we would you know, uh, respect for their faith, uh, for their dedication to, to God, would immediately, as the beginning of their grieving process, come to the same conclusion. I need to worship. I need to worship God in this moment. 
Now, it might make us uncomfortable because we think of worship today as singing be happy. We think of it as singing God is so good. And we think of trying to praise God for His glory and His loveliness and His majesty and all these wonderful things about God. And, and I'm not saying that's false worship, but there's other ways to worship God. If we look in the Psalms, uh, there are about 65 or so, if my number is correct, about 65 psalms known as lament psalms that usually have to do with a lot of struggle and pain and sometimes some grieving. And they're not exactly fun to read. And you, we read them today and we think, how could anybody have the audacity to say these things to God? But numbering about 65 out of 150, there's more lament psalms than any other kind of psalm in the book. And so maybe that's something that we should consider and something we should look at. Just as an example, uh, if you'll allow me, I'm going to read Psalm uh, 13 for us for just a moment here to give us an example of a lament psalm. He starts out by saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? God, where are you? What's the deal? And he's trying to uh, express what he's feeling, uh, the psalmist here, uh, in, in his heart at the moment. And so we, we look through the psalms and we see worship it takes a variety of forms. It's always directed to God. Uh, and I believe in the end it is always respectful and reverent. Um, but here he's, he's very blunt, we might say. Have you forgotten me? Where are you in this moment where I'm dealing with some really difficult stuff? Would we call this psalm worship? It's a psalm directed to God. I think we would. As we, as we read the rest of it, we see that maybe he levels out a little bit and acknowledges some good things about God. Verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And we might read that from a very monotone perspective and think, how can you start your psalm that's only six verses long with, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? And you end six verses later with, man, God, you sure have blessed me a whole lot. Maybe. We don't uh, relate to that as much uh, in any given circumstance of life, but when we're, when we're going through it, we know that emotions change. We know that, that thoughts come and go very quickly. And so this person, I would say, is being very honest with God, and he is trying to express himself to God and beg for his intervention, beg for his help and his guidance through these things that he's going through. Maybe he feels like God has, has forgotten him, but by the end, God, I know, I know you're still there. I know that you've blessed me bountifully. I know that you're still taking care of me. Uh, and I think that's pretty powerful. And so, in fact, that's what we're going to think about for the next few moments is Jesus and Psalm 22. If you'd like to flip over to Psalm 22, I would invite you to do that. We're going to uh, look at this psalm for a good little while here.
We know that in Matthew chapter 27, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And may we have trouble with what exactly does Jesus mean in that moment? Uh, what is he trying to say? Is this because he's full of sin and God has turned his back? And you know, we have a bunch of speculation on what Jesus is trying to imply there. I think we bring a lot of clarity to that moment when we realize that Jesus is quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. That says the exact same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so I thought uh, for us this evening, one of the most beneficial things that we could do is we consider where is God when my loved one passes away, that we consider Jesus and his feelings as he was facing his own death. That was very imminent and he knew it would come very quickly. So what is Jesus saying on that cross as he quotes Psalm 22? I believe he wants us to go back and read the whole thing. We won't read the whole thing this evening for time's sake, but I believe uh, he's trying to communicate many of the things that are listed throughout this psalm, and not simply the first verse, even though that's what he quotes there. So let's read this, and we're going to uh, break it down by a few verses at a time. Verses 1 and 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. Whoa, again, rather bold, rather uh, blunt to talk to God that way. God, you have forsaken me. You're, you're not helping me. You're, you're not helping me. You're not listening to me. I'm groaning. I'm crying. And you simply don't hear. And... He's, again, very honest with God and how he's feeling in this moment. But then we read verses 3 through 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. God, I really feel like you've left me. I feel like you've left me to fend for myself. I feel like I'm crying and there's nobody here to help me. But I know that you are holy. I know that our fathers have trusted you and that you took care of them. And so help me to continue to trust in you as well. Verse 6, But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. This person's under a lot of pressure from the people around him. The people are ridiculing him. They're, they're oppressing him. They're rubbing his face in the fact that he's trusted in the Lord, and it sure looks to us like he's not coming to help you. And so that's very real for him in this moment. How does he respond? Verses 9 and 10. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. From the very beginning, I know that you've been there. For me, I know that you've been there with me. 
through everything that I've, I've dealt with. I know that since the moment I was born, God, you have been there. And so even though I'm feeling right now like you've forsaken me, like you're not there with me, like you're not hearing my cry, you're not seeing my pain, when I step back and when I think about it, I know you. I know that you're holy. I know that our fathers have trusted you and, it, and it's worked out so well for them because you have been there for them and with them. And so I know you've been there with me as well. Help me con to continue to be there with you. He goes on to essentially say that uh, in verses 11 through 13 here. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm in trouble. I'm going through it right now. It feels like I'm surrounded by the, the strongest, most ferocious animals that I can possibly imagine. And they've got their eyes on me. And they're, they're narrowing in on me. They're zooming in on me. And, and the destruction is coming. The calamity is coming. I can feel all the pressure building around me. The, the precursor there, verse 11, is don't be far from me. I know the trouble is here. I need you to be even closer than the trouble. And so, God, please continue to be with me. I know you've been there with me since I was born. Continue to be with me. Now that this trouble is, is upon me, now that I feel the pressure building and it's, and it's caving in on every side. Verses 14 through 18. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me, divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. I'm weak right now. I'm, I've been outcast. The whole congregation is against me. I've been ostracized. I'm in pain. I'm, I'm hurting. It's getting really bad. Um, I'm hurting and I'm and I'm in pain and I feel lost and I feel like there's nobody around to help me and and when I uh, think about it and let the, my emotions get the best of me, God, it even feels like you aren't there. It feels like you have forsaken me. We're again, we're not going to read the whole psalm. We're going to finish with this next section of verses here, 19 through 24. After saying all of that. After going through all these, this roller coaster of emotion, God, you're, you're not there with me, but I know you're holy and I know you take care of the people that are faithful to you, that trust in you. I am so oppressed right now. I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like I'm lower than the dirt, but I know you've been with me through it all. I know you've been in, uh, with me since birth. I, I feel this pressure caving in on me right now, and I need you to be with me through this trouble. I am so weak right now. I'm exhausted. Uh, I feel like I'm surrounded by only people that, that have it out for me. This is how uh, we're going to conclude our section. Again, the psalm does continue. I'd encourage you to read it uh, on your own time. Uh, verses 19 through 24. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help. Deliver me from the sword, 
my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. He concludes, again, we're saying concludes, um, with God, again, I need you to be there with me. I need you to be there for me. I need you to help me through this. It feels like the most ferocious animals I've ever seen are, are hunting me down. But I know that you can save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of those wild oxen. I know that you are stronger than every obstacle that I'm facing. I know that you are bigger than the pain. And I know that you are bigger than all these things that I feel like are, are caving in around me. And so one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to declare your name. I'm going to continue to praise you. I'm going to continue to glorify you to those around me. I'm going to encourage everybody else that I can to continue to praise you, to continue to be faithful to, to you, to continue to love you because I know, even though I'm feeling this way right now, I know that you still love us. And I know that you have continued to be faithful to us. And so I love uh, how he finishes uh, this section in verse 24 there. For he, for God, has not despised nor poured the affliction of the afflicted. God sees the pain. God sees the hurt of the afflicted. He's the one that cares for the orphan and the stranger and the widow. And so surely he cares for us as well. Nor has he hidden his face from him, nor has he hidden his face from the afflicted, from those who are in pain, those who are abused and ostracized and oppressed. But when he cried, but when that person who's feeling it, who's going through it at the moment, when he cried to him, God heard. God was there listening. So that's where we're going to conclude our thoughts here. Where, where is God? In all of this, we're talking about death. We're talking about losing uh, some loved ones. It might feel like God's not there. It might feel like God has forsaken us. It might feel like God has, has left us because how could he possibly allow something like this to happen? How could he allow us to go through such pain and, and misery and grief uh, without our loved ones there by our side? Yeah, it's going to feel like that. We're going to feel just like our psalmist did here. Uh, I, I do want to say, I think it's interesting. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of, let's say, prophecies in here uh, that we, of course, see uh, come true in Jesus. The fact that he quotes the first verse, uh, the fact that uh, it talks about my, my hands and my feet being pierced, uh, those people dividing my garments and things like that. Uh, so there's several prophecies in here that, that certainly come true in Jesus. Um, I don't know if I would say the psalmist only wrote this as a prophecy. I think somebody else was feeling this other than Jesus. I think whoever wrote this uh, was feeling this same way as well, and Jesus was able to relate it uh, to his own situation. Uh, and so 
we might go through it too. We might go through some pain and some misery and some grief as well. And when we feel that way, when we are going through those things, when we feel like God has forsaken us and we can't find Him and we wonder where He is, we can rest assured that when we cry to Him, He hears. He hears us. So where, where is God in all of this? God is the one that hears. God is the one that hears us when we cry, and He calls us to come to Him, to find His loving embrace, uh, and to find the comfort that only He can provide. Again, uh, Job and, and David, the first thing that they do is worship when they lose their children. I imagine their worship sounded something like this. God, why? Why is all this uh, pain all of a sudden in my life? Why are you allowing me to go through this grief uh, and this pain? And so their worship probably starts off very sorrowful, very frustrated, very sad and mournful. Uh, but knowing what we know about Job and David, I think we can uh, uh, assume or, or speculate at least that by the end of that worship, they were reminded, I'm going to continue to trust in you. I know that you're still there for me. I know that you're still seeing me through this situation. So God is the one that, that hears us when we cry. He calls us to, through that pain, yearn for Him, to long for Him, to hear His call to come home where there is no more death, where there is no more pain and sorrow for us to feel ever again as we live with Him in eternity. So again, I, I realize this was a, a heavy topic. Uh, I hope that I was not uh, insensitive to anyone's situation. Uh, I hope that we do our very best to not be insensitive to anyone's situation because again, it, it's incredibly complex. Every relationship is so unique and, and how relationships end through the same process of death is, is so unique as well. So let's do our best to be there for each other, uh, to lean on each other, to find comfort in each other's presence uh, through those moments. But let's yearn for God through those moments. He's there with us, caring for us, guiding us through those moments as long as we are doing our very best to continue to be faithful to Him. Again, that might look like pouring our whole heart out before Him in ways that to other people might sound uh, disrespectful or, or a little bit blunt. Uh, but God wants, He knows what's in our heart anyway, so He wants us to bear it before Him so that through that, He can remind us that there is a place where this doesn't happen anymore. and We don't have to go through that pain and that grief any longer. Uh, and so he longs for all of us. He's there for all of us. And I hope that has brought comfort to you this evening. Uh, we're all going to go through this uh, experience of losing our loved ones at one point or another. And so I hope that this has been beneficial to you uh, this evening. We'll go ahead and close there uh, and wait for our bell. Thank you. That was heavy. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Adam told me to speak about that, so that's what we had to talk about. Um, that's part of life, and so we need to deal with that as well. We need to deal with the end of life and, and how to handle that, whether it's for ourselves or, or for our loved ones. Uh, and so the invitation, of course, is open for all of us this evening. Uh, again, the passing of our loved ones invites us 
to remember that there is eternal life waiting for us uh, if we are, of course, faithful to the one that provides it. And so if we want to meet our loved ones in the air and rejoice with them and be reunited with them as we together meet Jesus and go to our internal home, then we've got to do our part. We've got to be faithful ourselves. And so tonight, if we can do anything to help you in that uh, journey that you're taking, uh, if we can do anything to uh, encourage you, to be there for you, to study with you, pray with you, uh, baptize you if you're ready to do that this evening, uh, if there's anything at all that we can help you with uh, to be faithful to our Lord so that we can have eternal life together, why don't you come forward and make that known as we stand and sing.